Welcome to trial update number nine in the Journey for Justice podcast series on the trial of Kyler Hughes. Today, what a day. Honestly, um, started out pretty normal and then Kyler Hughes himself decided to get on the witness stand and then closing arguments happened directly after that. Um, and now as we speak, the jury has the case for deliberation. So a little bit of a whirlwind of a day. Um, as a reminder, I'm Haley Godburn and today I have two reporters with us, Andy Alcock and Sarah Plake. Hi guys. Hello. Hey. So they were both down at the courthouse today um, and heard use testimony and closing arguments. So we're going to talk to them about that. Um, starting with use testimony, guys, I don't know about you, but I was I was a little bit shocked when uh, he got on the stand. I thought to myself, there's no way they're going to let him testify. But I don't know. They did. I think to me, one of the things that, that really struck me and, and I was uh, talking about this uh, with one of our, our photographers is um, we haven't heard publicly from him uh, since he was charged um, with these two young women's murders. And the last uh, time that we, you know, anybody really questioned him specifically about it uh, was when our former anchor, uh, Richard Sharp, stuck a microphone in, in use face as he was coming out of a courthouse and in a jumpsuit after being arrested and in handcuffs and asked him uh, about Jessica Runyon's in 2016. Did you kill uh, Jessica? And he, he turned to Richard and said, no, did you? It was just all kind of sarcastic and smug and smiling and a completely different Kyler use today. I mean, he was, you know, I have to say he was very composed. Um, you know, he had, had uh, the shirt and tie on, which he has had for the entire trial. And, you know, listening to, listening to him, um, answer questions uh, at first from his own attorney um you know he sounded um fairly believable frankly um but uh, certainly the fireworks really didn't uh didn't hit until he was uh, cross-examined by uh julie toll and uh, you know then uh, there was you know certainly a lot of discrepancies came out um probably you know the main thing i would say one of my main takeaways was that he admitted on the witness stand to lying to police for 14 years um, about uh, Kara Kopetsky. Uh, he had told police previously and, and had been interviewed by them multiple times that um, he was not with Kara the day she disappeared. Today, he said he was. And he said that um, his half-brother, Jessup Carter, was with him and they picked her up at uh, Belton High School when she uh, called him to, to get picked up. Um, and then he claimed that um, uh, he was with uh, Kara and Jessup uh, at his apartment. They were trying to score weed from a friend. And uh, when that didn't work out, he went to the friend's house. He left her uh, with uh, Jessup. And then he went to see his uh, great aunt uh, at a rehab facility in Kansas City. So that was his story, um, which obviously, um, you know, Julie told did not buy at all. Something I immediately picked up on was his very quick mention of Jessup Carter. Um, you know, right off the bat, he was talking about how he was involved in this right from the beginning with Kara Kopetsky. And, you know, and everything that I've read about this case, it, it never to me indicated that Jessup Carter was was that involved with Kara Kopetsky or even Jessica Runyon's. But um, just to hear him say that, you know, it was actually Jessup who was driving the day that they picked Kara up from school. I was just like, that is the first time I've ever heard that. Um, Sarah, I know you you kind of missed the first half of his testimony, but 
Um, what were what were your thoughts on it? Well, yeah, some of the same things that Andy said that, um, you know, this is the first time we've heard him say more than just a few words. And but this time, you know, when when Richard Sharp talked to him, he was very like, just kind of rude and just smug and just had this arrogance. And that's honestly what I noticed. Um, but this time he, like Andy said, he was, he was cool. Uh, he seemed like he was, he was calm. He did show a little bit of frustration whenever the, uh, prosecution was cross-examining him, but he was very soft-spoken. He talked very slowly. Um, at some points, um, it seemed like he was almost whispering, like, I'm very sorry, you know, just kind of, I, I think that was something that, um, his, his attorneys maybe wanted him to show to the jury that, you know, he's calm, he's soft-spoken, his voice really isn't even that deep. Um, so those are some of the things that I just kind of made note of, um, just kind of observing him the way he was acting. But um, I think that when the prosecution kind of grilled him about his actions over the years, why he didn't come forward in 14 years to say, uh, to say his piece, um, you know, he just, he kind of diverted to other people like, Oh, I wanted to, but, but this, or oh, I wanted to, but this, um, just kind of, uh, showing, um, how other people have, have made his life a living hell. Uh, I think he was kind of trying to divert blame off of himself. Yeah. I, I think that's, that's kind of what stood out to me. Yeah. He was kind of, it seemed like he was looking for some empathy maybe for the way this case has quote unquote affected his life. And I think the prosecution, Julie Toll, wasn't having that at all. You know, she like referenced the victim's families who were in the room during the testimony and just kind of the juxtaposition there of, oh, it's affected your life. Can you imagine what it's done to these people's lives? Well, Haley, uh, one thing that, that I think, you know, just kind of picking up on, on the point from about uh, Julie Toll, I mean, she really pushed him um, with sarcasm. You know, she said, so you, oh, must yeah. be, you, you must be the most unlucky guy in the world because you were the last person seen with two of your girlfriends who disappeared. And his response was, well, I'm unlucky because uh, my brother is a serial killer. So he basically flat out called Jessup Carter. Uh, a, a killer of these two girls, what his motive, you know, would have been is, is really kind of hard to, to figure out as far as that goes. Um, on the defense side, though, I, I think, you know, it, it's also uh, kind of worth uh, pointing out, you know, while it was maybe a surprise uh, for, you know, for uh, used to take the stand, uh, one person uh, the defense didn't call is uh, somebody that they referred to in their opening statements uh, as the rogue cop. Uh, they set the stage for that. Uh, Joshua Meyer from uh, the Kansas City Police Department, uh, and based on uh, what we saw, you know, from uh, documents, court documents prior to this trial, uh, conducted uh, his own uh, sort of uh, investigation, even though the Belton Police Department told him not to. So, you know, here was somebody that potentially could have gummed up the whole works, and we didn't see him testify. Um, in this case. Um, but I think it's, you know, it, it certainly is also important to point out, um, we've talked to people not involved uh, with this case, uh, like John Cerno, uh, an attorney, um, who does point out that, you know, at, at the end of the day, we are still talking about a circumstantial case. Um, you know, while the, the remains were found, nobody saw uh, Kyler Eust or anybody else uh, kill these young women or dump their bodies in the woods. So we have to go based on, you know, things that he said, 
um, you know, other stuff that, that has come up. Um, so, you know, the jury's has got a lot of instructions to sort through. And the first thing they have to do is choose a foreman. So, uh, you know, hard to, to say how long this, this may or may not take. Yeah, I think that the, the state really, you know, they, they built up a story, right? So they showed what youth was doing and saying um, to both of the girls before they went missing. They kind of built up the days leading up to uh, them going missing. They point out um, what they say is a pattern that when girls don't want him anymore and they say that they don't want to be with him anymore, he's very sensitive about it. He cannot handle rejection and he snaps, you know, basically. And so that was kind of the narrative that they wanted the jury to know, um, you know, based on actions, um, uh, his behaviors um, and, you know, what, what, his friends say that he told them, um, confessing to, I think, six people along the way. Um, and uh, they really relied on Karkovetsky's phone records, um, Jessica's phone records, like the pings, when, like where and when their phones are hitting off certain towers. Um, and uh, they say that's the evidence there. Uh, but the, but the, his defense says there is no evidence. Right. And, and I think the other thing, too, uh, kind of, you know, interesting, uh, Sarah, bringing up the point about this was a pattern of, of behavior for him that uh, when uh, the young women uh, he was dating decided they didn't want to have have to deal with him anymore, that it, it uh, he became very uh, possessive and, and it, it upset him uh, tremendously. And uh, the prosecutor, Julie Toll, kind of played uh, armchair psychologist a little bit, uh, saying that uh, this is a direct result of his uh, really difficult relationship with his mother um that uh he really didn't have much to do with her um it, it was uh, his grandparents that he pretty much uh was raised by and and um you know that it, it was his uh, aunt uh was he considered to be uh, more like his mother and then uh, uh she died and he was still very young so uh, uh i guess uh, you know there were uh, sort of a, a lot of difficult uh, things uh that he went through um as uh, a young person as a child but uh certainly uh if in fact uh, he's found guilty uh certainly no excuse for uh for for what he's accused of that's for sure so i want to move on now to the closing arguments um listeners if you want to hear more specifically about what you talked about in his testimony today that is in our live blog at kshb.com um i wrote up very detailed notes about that using um some tweets from our wonderful reporters who were there live tweeting um, so that is available to you. But moving on to closing arguments, um, the prosecution and defense had very different approaches. Um, Julie Toll got up there and um, appealed to the jury's reason and common sense and took them through um, kind of step by step some of their instructions and told them this is how the state's case meets these requirements. And then um, Sharon Turlington for the defense got up there and really highlighted the fact that there is not a lot of physical evidence in this case. Right. And so there is a quite a bit of back and forth about cell phone records as well in there. Um, can you guys give me your thoughts um, on the closing arguments today? Yeah, I think, you know, to me, one of the, uh, the, the things uh, that, that stood out is that, um, as you mentioned, one of the things the prosecution uh, pressed home is, is that um, they claim that uh, used uh, strangled both of these young women to death. Um, and then uh, Turlington, uh, youth attorney came back with, well, nobody testified, um, that that is actually the case. I mean, because of the, uh, advanced decomposition of the uh, remains of these young women, 
there there's absolutely no way to know how either one of them died and that that is that is absolutely true uh but uh they they claim based on uh what uh used had said in the past that um he had admitted to uh to strangling these girls so that was one thing i think another thing too that that kind of stood out to me is that um particularly in 2007, you know, when you're looking about timelines and alibis and all that kind of stuff. Um, it is certainly, I think, fair to say, unfortunate that um, we simply do not have uh, the whereabouts of use phone the day that uh, Cara disappeared in May 2007. That Those were like the only records that were missing uh, for, for that particular day. And if, you know, you could follow that phone uh, you'd have a better idea of, of, of the timeline, uh, but that that's lost forever. So um, we have to go on other stuff. Sarah, what were your thoughts on the closing arguments today? I thought that the, yeah, and this kind of goes to what Andy said, they, the prosecution, she said, Julie Toll set a timer, right? For a little bit over a minute, because they had an expert come in and say that uh, it takes about a minute and a half to strangle somebody to death. And that's kind of what they're going off of is that that's what they're using um, to say that that you did was that he strangled the, the girls. And so she set a timer and just sat there. Everybody, everybody was silent for that for that minute and a half. And she's like, that's deliberation. So he had a minute and a half to, to think about it. Uh, and so, you know, and Andy's right. Like, we don't we don't know how they died. We don't know what time they died. We know we don't know when they died, and we really don't know how they died, um, because it's we, we just don't have that clear cut evidence in front of us. But um, you know, the the state says they really pointed out the fact that uh, over and over again that they say that use use weapon uh, was his hands. He was very, uh, I guess, proud of his of his hand strength, his grip strength. Um, and that that was his go-to. You know, you've got Candace Matthews, who's now Candace St. Clair, who testified one of his ex-girlfriends saying that he uh, strangled her repeatedly. You know, then you've got um, the allegations that you strangled, um, you know, Kara Kapeski based on his friends' testimony. And then you've got uh, the state pointing out that Kyler had... Um, used had uh, scratches on his face, like one scratch on his face, a couple scratches on his hand that as he was strangling her, she was fighting back. So they, I mean, they really painted just this graphic picture and they, they made sure to weave in all of the same kind of patterns through each and every person um, and really point that out to the jury. Um, so I don't know what the jury's going to think about that. And I don't know how they're going to get that, you know, and apply the rules, the instructions to that. The case is in the jury's hands now. They went out for deliberation um, this evening. Yeah, so uh, I, I guess uh, really it's just a waiting game, really more than anything at this point. Um, you know, as far as the jury instructions, uh, the first thing they have to do uh, is choose a uh, four person to kind of lead them. Um, and then they have to go through all of the instructions. And there were, I don't know, 15 plus instructions, I want to say. Uh, because there are multiple possibilities about, you know, the uh, prosecution uh, argued 
that you should be found guilty of first degree murder uh, for each of the uh, each of the uh, girls' deaths. Um, but there are other instructions uh, for, you know, obviously if he's not guilty, uh, you know, the uh, second there was one for second degree murder uh, for each case and 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 so on. Uh, there, there, so there's a lot of different things for them to consider to uh, to, to follow those instructions. Uh, I think one other point I, I, I did want to make that was that was kind of interesting is that we learned at this trial that um, it was Jessup Carter, you's half brother, that actually called the cops on. Him. That's how you know they arrested him, and and that was something that was brought up that that everything that Jessup said checked out. They they found him at this cabin and and they they arrested him for the murders in this case, and and now it's used, you know, uh, pointing the finger at Jessup who can't defend himself because uh, he hung himself in jail. Uh, he was in jail on an unrelated uh, matter that didn't have anything to do with this particular case. So, um, you know, all of that uh, has to be taken into account. Right. But the, but the, his defense, youth defense wants to say that uh, the arson was, does have everything to do with this case. Um, Cause we're talking about when uh, youth, or I'm sorry, Jessup Carter supposedly, you know, burned down their, his uncle Paul's house and right. youth defense is saying that, that that has something to do with it, that, you know, he was guilty and we'll never know because he's dead now. And he ended his life because he was guilty. Um, so, and the prosecution's like, well, that's all very convenient, right? Because Jessup Carter's not here today to, to tell us. So um, right. I think it's interesting to say the things of the, the way, like the story, how the, how the story has evolved really, because none of us knew any of this stuff. Uh, none of us knew that Jessup Carter uh, being there when Karkipetsky went missing 14 years ago was even an option. So it's just interesting. And I guess the other thing too is, I mean, you know, as, as I kind of mentioned previously, um, you know, if, if you're to believe Kyler used, well, what exactly was Jessup Carter's motive for killing these girls? Why would right. he do that? Right. Car Carter wasn't with any of them. Carter wasn't dating right. Car Car Carter wasn't dating Jessica Runyon's youth was. Right. And, and, uh, and Jessup, uh, had his own longtime girlfriend, um, you know, who they talked about during this case. So, um, you know, that, that part of it, uh, it doesn't really seem to make sense about, you know, why he would do that. Right. Another thing is, is that, um, youth and Carter were never even close. Um, according to what we've heard, um, when Crystal Taylor took the stand and granted Crystal is Carter's wife, um, she said that they were never really like from what she knew, Eust and Carter were never close. Um, you know, they didn't really ever see him that much. And we know that Eust really didn't spend a lot of time with his mom, but that Carter did spend a lot of time with his mom. So the notion that maybe 14 years ago, Carter was like involved somehow, um, with Car Kapetsky's disappearance, it just seems random that he would pop up, you know, if him and Yust were not even close anyway. I, I'm yeah. that that part is confusing. It is, and and you know, I, I think uh, we we didn't learn until this trial that Carter was the one who who, who called the cops on, on Kyler. But uh, right. I have to say, you know, uh, have to give uh, mad props uh, to our colleague uh, Andres Gutierrez who. Uh, went uh, to uh, Carter's uh, appearance uh, some years ago and specifically asked mm -hmm. about Kyler and, 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 uh, and Jessup at the time uh, told Andres, uh, you know, none of us, uh, you know, are, you know, support uh, Kyler and what he did, you know, with those young women. And, you know, we feel badly for the girls' families. 
So, uh, I mean, that was a, that was a major get by, uh, Andres and, and we didn't know at the know. time that, that, uh, that he, uh, had actually called the cops on Kyler. Next, can you guys kind of walk our listeners through what the potential outcomes are, um, with this jury verdict? I know there are a few different charges they could consider, um, on both of these counts. Right. Well, again, I, I guess, uh, you know, I mean, obviously, um, the prosecution is, is hoping for first degree murder um, on in both of these uh, cases. And, and if it if it works out that way, uh, it's possible that use uh, could spend the rest of his life uh, in prison without the possibility of parole, uh, considering he's a 32 year old man uh, and appears to be in reasonably good health. Uh, it's not out of the realm of possibility. You could spend uh, 50 years plus potentially uh, in prison. Uh, so, you know, he's obviously, you know, staring at a, at a very long uh, prison stay if it works out that way. Uh, but obviously, you know, there is the option of not guilty. And, and that's that's up to the jury on, on both of those uh, charges. Uh, then there is also uh, the uh, lesser charge of uh, second degree murder. And again, that's, uh, you know, where you get into the, the whole thing about uh, being intentional uh, Sarah mentioned, you know, the uh, right at the end of, of closing arguments, Julie told putting up uh, the clock that ticked down, you know, for a minute and a half, uh, you know, to kind of, you know, raise the point of intent about, you know, if he's got uh, used has his hands around these girls necks and it takes a minute, minute and a half, uh, you know, to, to choke them out to the point where they're they die, um, that he certainly this was deliberate. And, and this was something that, you know, he knew he was doing and, and you know, his comments about, well, you know, if, if, if I can't have these girls, nobody can, you know, uh, particularly, uh, Cara, he, he said that, uh, supposedly, uh, we've heard testimony about. Um, so, um, you know, I guess we just have to see what the jury decides, uh, as far as, um, you know, whether they think this was, uh, something that, you know, was done with, uh, deliberation if he did it, or if he, if they don't think there's enough evidence, uh, to convict him, because, you know, remember it has to be beyond a reasonable doubt. Um, not guilty doesn't mean innocent. It means that there's not enough evidence uh, to convict him potentially if they go that route. Hey, we don't know what's going to happen tonight. Um, if because like me and Andy were talking, and uh, Andy and I were talking, and Andy said, you know, they they've got to go through all these instructions. It's a lot to understand. It's a lot to like you know comprehend, especially if you you know if you've never done a a double murder trial if you've never been a juror on this kind of thing before it's i mean it can be a lot to take in and really make sure you understand the instructions what you're supposed to do what the parameters are i mean and they have to uh pick a foreman and that could take a while uh the foreman is the one who kind of speaks for the group um so i mean i don't know they 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 could just say look we're going to break for the day we're going to come back tomorrow and then just go from there we, we really don't know i mean it's been a really long day uh, a full day of hearing stuff so of hearing testimony and closing arguments and all that. It started out pretty slow because, uh, you know, we started at 8.30 and then we went till, I don't know, maybe about 11.45. And all of that time uh, was with, uh, I don't know, four or five different um, defense witnesses really kind of deep in the weeds, um, you know, with regard to things like, uh, you know, phone records and, and the physical evidence in this case and, you know, what, they thought about, you know, various aspects of it, you know, and, and it wasn't frankly terribly, um, terribly thrilling. And then you get this bombshell that that used is going to uh, testify in his own defense. And, and that that all bets are off after that. That's pretty much the story then.
<laughs> I, I thought it was funny that they went back to the pee thing again. <laughs> uh, it's like, it's something that everybody keeps laughing about, but I mean, it's, it's not funny, but it's, it's just like so much debate over whether or not Kyler used Peta's pants. Um, that was brought up again today. Uh, yep. <laughs> and so, uh, Billy Toll said that use is more worried about making sure everybody knows he didn't pee his pants. Then he is worried about, you know, actually telling the truth. And then his attorney said, well, you know, we put so much effort into talking about whether he peed his pants or not because it's not true, you know. And then even used on the stand on the stand was like told, you know, Julie told, why are you lying to the jury about me peeing my pants? Like, why do you keep lying? They're going to remember that. She said, well, they should, you know, because her point was that he was so nervous about getting caught that he peed his pants when they got pulled over. But I just thought that was interesting to point out because it keeps getting, it, it gets brought up like every day, whether or not he peed his pants. Well, and the, I mean, it was such a big deal to the defense that uh, they, they had his, his pants tested for urine and, and uh, claimed right. that it came, came back negative. So, I mean, they're saying, you know, if they're, if they're lying to you about this, you know, what else are they, you know, not telling the truth about? So, you know, but yeah, it was, uh, it, it was brought up multiple times. Uh, and, and of course, this was when they were, uh, this was before Eust was um, arrested for the murders. This was when uh, he was in the uh, vehicle with uh, his half-brother, Jessup Carter, and uh, they were pulled over and, and, you know, supposedly said, oh, my God, I'm, you know, in, in big trouble. I, I, there was a more specific uh, word used that I can't use um, and, and that he got all, you know, the police claimed that he got all clammy and sweaty and shaking and and uh, that his pants were wet. And that's what they thought the deal was. So but uh, that was uh, a bone of contention for sure. To wrap up, guys, today. Um... The jury is in deliberation. We have really no concept of how long that's going to take. Um, but on both both counts for both Cara and Jessica, they are deliberating on whether to find him guilty of either first or second degree murder, or they they can also consider voluntary or involuntary manslaughter, or of course they can find him not guilty. So Sarah and Andy, thank you for joining me this evening. You both are going to be back at the courthouse tomorrow. Is that right? That's our understanding. Yeah. If, if in fact, uh, the uh, deliberations uh, go uh, to tomorrow, it's certainly still within the realm of possibility that uh, this thing could be done uh, Wednesday night. We don't know yet. That is true. So listeners, you can give them both a follow on Twitter. Andy is Andy Elcock too. And Sarah is at Sarah Plate TV. They did a fantastic job of live tweeting today. I mentioned earlier, you can go to kshb.com slash use trial, and you'll find our live blog from today's proceeding that has a detailed account of what, of the story that use told the jury today and all kinds of other things, including all of our past episodes, trial day recaps and case details, and really anything you could want to know about this case lives there. And um, until who knows when we'll be back when the jury has a verdict. Thanks guys. Okay. Thanks. Thank you.